This is my favorite album. 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 I'm Aoife Barry and this is my favourite album. Hello and welcome to My Favourite Album with me, Andrea Cleary. My guest today is Aoife Barry, writer, journalist, musician and arts enthusiast. Aoife is the host of the Get Around To It podcast alongside Lauren Murphy. She's also an arts writer and assistant news editor for the journal.ie and has had essays published in literary journals such as Banshee Lit and RTE's Sunday Miscellany. Today's album is the fourth studio album from American singer-songwriter Elliot Smith, XO. Recorded between 1997 and 1998, XO was the artist's first album on a major label. Smith's voice has, for decades, been a voice for the dispossessed, and even here, when pop melodies and song structures reign supreme, it is Smith's off-kilter voice and delivery that has persisted since his tragic death, aged just 34, in 2003. XO by Elliot Smith is Aoife Barry's favourite album. So when did you first hear this album? How did it come into your life? Um, so I heard the single Waltz Number 2 from the record first because my boyfriend's sister had it as his back when I was a teenager, so it was like, 16 17 maybe um she had a copy of it she was older and you know when you're like you know in your teens at that stage when you're really getting into music and the people have older siblings who mm. are kind of they know what's happening um and they pick up stuff and you learn you learn through them what you like and what to listen to and I, I was a few years kind of past the stage of like discovering alternative music I suppose so I was in that stage where I was trying to really discover stuff for for myself you know so I heard this Mm. song on the single I remember the like CD cassette um or sorry CD cover and I thought god this is this is really cool it's really it's kind of really dark but it's also really pop at the same time and Mm. I then went and got his album Either Or which is also amazing I mean everything he did everything Elliot Smith did was was amazing but either or is obviously more for people who've heard it it's more lo-fi or people who haven't heard it it's more lo-fi than EXO and so I really enjoyed going back and finding the older albums you know because he's a few before EXO that were his real like you know pre-major label records and super low-key lo-fi him recording them himself on like an eight track or whatever at home um but EXO was was a kind of a great introduction I think to, to Elliot Smith for me because it was when he had signed to a big label so he had more money and the production was really good but he hadn't he didn't lose any of that sense of intimacy that he had on his previous records so just kind mm. of set me on a journey into his music and he's a re- he's a uh, recording artist who has just like stuck with me I suppose through through my life um he obviously mm. tragically passed when I was in college um but his records just mean a lot to me and I think it was hard picking which one to talk about um but I think this really sums up you know him at his best but also it sums up my taste in music I think it influenced my taste in music an awful lot so that's Mm -hmm. why I really you know really love it I suppose it's so important to have those cool older siblings I think of other people because they yeah the power that they wield you know totally they 
that that older sibling could have given you anything and you know thank thank god they gave you Elliot Smith um, I know yeah and I'm, I'm the eldest in my family so like I had no older siblings you know it was my parents who I was getting music from particularly my dad who was really into 70s stuff so you know Neil Young and everything so I think all of that really influenced influenced my taste as well mm. and are you are you, are you the, the cool older sibling to others now is it your responsibility to get the cool music into into people's hands well I think it's funny because or was it yeah like I, it's funny I think because I have two younger sisters and a younger brother and my brother would be the person who'd have the closest taste to me so my sisters wouldn't be into music in the same way I'm into music at all and they would listen to some of the same stuff like my sister Laura would really like kind of soul music and kind of 70s like even yeah going into kind of more upbeat almost like disco kind of stuff um and then my sister Steph would be much more into like mainstream kind of chart music. And then my brother, he DJs, he lives over in the UK and he's really into like crate digging and stuff. And we would send each other music, you know, recommendations, but he wouldn't be as into the kind of more alternative rock side or indie side mm. that I'd be into. But he knows so much about about other genres. So I think I think I influence him in some ways. I send him stuff that I think he like and he sends me stuff back. So that's I like that kind of swapping of of influences too. You wrote during lockdown about how albums have uh, been important to you. Mm. Um, has has this album have have you found your found yourself returning to this album at all? You know, it's funny. I hadn't really returned to it much. I'd kind of listened to to it a couple of times. I think over over lockdown but listening to it again thinking about the podcast made me realize how like how much I had listened to it and how much I had depended on it when I was a teenager and how sometimes it can be easy to forget how amazing and important those records are because it's always there you know like you never forget about these records um and it made me remember when I was in I think it was like maybe after leaving cert I went on a like a girl's trip to Greece with my friends and I brought I had a copy of EXO on tape, I think, and I listened to it on a Walkman in Greece, like the <laughs> completely tragic, like emo, very pale person <laughs> who hated uh, tanning and just was not set up for like one of those Grecian holidays or whatever. Um, but I just thought, God, wow, I really, I really loved that album so much. But it also made me, and I was listening to the lyrics cl- more closely again, and I feel like I know everybody word and it off by heart. But a lot of it really hit me in a different way, you know, yeah. to how it did when I was a teenager, of course, because I hadn't like lived life at all. And that was really interesting. So I think now I can get more out of it even than I might have at the time or got something different out of it. And I think that's the joy of music, isn't it? That like it gives you something no matter what age you are, whatever stage of life you're in, you can find something else in it. So I've definitely found more stuff in this record over the years that I perhaps didn't mm. expect, you know. So when when you when you listen to it at different stages in life, you're 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 finding new things to mm. to dig down into. Do you yeah. do you have a favorite song on the record? Um, I was thinking about this. It's actually kind of tricky. I really love Sweet Adeline. That's the opener on it, and I think that just sets the tone for it because it's like this big, almost bombastic song for someone like Elliot Smith. So I was I was trying to think of, you know, if if you'd only heard his previous records, and then you heard this one you know, people were really waiting for it because there was, you know, money put into the promotion of it and stuff like that, you know. I was thinking, wow, must have been really mad hearing this really well-produced big record. And this song really sets out the the stall, like the drums and the piano and the like, you know, soaring choruses and the vocals and everything. 
So I really love that. Um, I love Bottle Up and Explode as well. I think a lot. And I think that is a sound. I have a real soft spot yeah, for that song. It's so good. And I think it's a real um, sound uh, sound of kind of where he went to. You know, if you look at his later records, um, you, you know, will definitely hear like figure eight particularly. I think that was like the template almost for what he did on figure eight. Um, but yeah, so I mean, it's actually really hard. I was going like, everybody cares everybody understands as well another amazing one I'm probably just going to like name them all off question mark that's also excellent <laughs> so maybe they're all my favorite for all different reasons but I think those two mm-hmm. Sweet Adeline and um, bottle, up and it, bottle Up and Explode stick out to me for specific reasons definitely you you mentioned earlier about um, how this album and how Elliot Smith kind of inf- influenced your music taste going on yeah. what, what sort of music did you find yourself getting into as, as a teenager off, off the back of Elliot Smith yeah so I think um, when, I was, when you you asked me to come on the podcast and talk about talk about my favorite album it was really hard because I we all have loads of favorite albums right I don't think there's anybody who's like there's only one and I'll never listen to any others um but yeah. this one and Grace by Jeff Buckley were I think my two I'd always put them at like the top of my list because they are from a particular period of time where I could listen to them all the time and did listen to them all the time and they just had like a particular stamp they left on my on my life I suppose you know I just think about think about them and and they remind me of of certain periods of of time but they also I think encapsulate my taste so I think with Elliot Smith how he influenced me is he's so he's so Beatlesy in his sound he's clearly clearly like pulls a lot from the Beatles which didn't actually turn me into some Beatles super fan or anything I mean I I really Mm. like you know obviously everybody likes Beatles right but I never turned into one of those uh, Beatles nerds but I think there's stuff going on in his record like he's got like a lot of piano a lot of harmonies um and he's got people like John Bryan working with him and Joey Warrenker who are just brilliant musicians and they bring that kind of Beatlesy sensibility I think to particularly John Bryan to stuff that they work on um mm. and I think I just like that sense of like a full sound a really melodic sound I'm really into like melodies and harmonies and I'm also really into to lyrics and vocals because I love singing and I don't really play an instrument. I can play really bad guitar. So I'm always drawn to like what I could do, which is sing. And what I can do is, you know, listen to lyrics and write or whatever. And so I think what I learned from Elliot Smith was his lyrics are, as you know, so dark <laughs> and they're like yeah. unbelievably dark. And I love that contrast between really dark, intensely personal lyrics, but really difficult things you know compared to really bright music that's grounded in great musicianship that's really nice to listen to um Mm -hmm. and that's encapsulated in these like really short pop songs and sometimes with Elliot Smith you get these songs that are just like multi-tracked vocals vocal harmonies and they're so simple but they're just so effective so I think that's Mm kind of like what I really like I mean I listen to like yourself all sorts of genres and I'm I feel like I'm really open-minded about what I like listening to uh, or what I'll be you know what I'd kind of like to to test or whatever but I do think if something's got like dark lyrics and really good really good melodies takes from the kind of independent American sound has a touch of the Beatles bit of the 70s going on there like I will absolutely love it you know I like a bit of a country Mm thing as well like I love bands like Midlake who have that country sound to their independent American Americana stuff going on mm-hmm. so I'm kind of a sucker for that I think like Uncut magazine back in like the early to the mid 2000s was like my touchstone for stuff I really loved listening to so I, I still feel like 
they are very similar to my taste um mm. you know and like after the gold rush by neil young is one of my favorite albums and stuff those kind of sounds i think you know where you're like you're breaking my heart but you sound great while you're doing it that's yeah. that's kind of it <laughs> i think bottle up and explode is a really good example of of one of those songs that is you know intensely dark um and yet like god that melody is just something else you know and and totally. uh, what i love about elliot smith is he uses like really weird chords mm. a lot of the time like it's it's quite hard to it's like deceptively difficult to learn to play his songs on guitar and yeah. it's really frustrating because I'm I'm a I'm an incredibly mediocre guitar player <laughs> and and I don't have the time or the inclination to uh to get any better but I want to yeah. play Elliot Smith songs yeah. so I kind of have to force myself to yeah. yeah do you do when when you pick up a guitar do you do you play Elliot I'm no like because I'm so bad at it like I did I did <laughs> guitar lessons a few years ago and I was like really into like going to my guitar lessons every week and I had a really nice teacher and it was like a class with a load of people and I had this vision of myself being able to like sing and play the guitar and actually it was like patting my head and rubbing my stomach at the same time you know that you have to get over that thing of like thinking Mm -hmm. about a million things but I mean if I ever pick it up I end up playing like really really bad Neil Young songs with really simple (laughs) chords not but his but his songs aren't bad my versions of his songs are bad (laughs) um so yeah I think like looking at Elliot Smith he is he was such a great musician and you know somebody probably who spent like all his time you know playing music and that comes through because it's like you're saying his stuff is complicated like there's so many Mm. all the arrangements on this record like you know you think about it you're like a whole lot of work went into this of this really specific like we'll put this here and we'll put that there and you know this guitar riff here and we'll put like a saxophone or whatever at the start of this track all these like things that only like real proper musicians can can do so I think he's really a musician's um, a musician's musician um, but I think from a writing point of view as someone who likes words you know he teaches a lot too I think about vulnerability like I was listening again today to kind of take more note of some of the lines that I would listen to and not pay maybe enough attention to and like he has that that line like my feelings never change a bit I always feel like shit I don't know why I just do and you're just like that is so simple and raw and vulnerable and when you put it in the context of his life and everything he went through you know um drug use and mental health you know trials and you just get the sense he's been through loads and like his relationships are torn apart on the record and he really talks directly to people you know like you know stay the hell away from things you know nothing about he he tells someone Mm -hmm. you know and everybody cares everybody understands so as well as the music I think I got I got got a real sense of like vulnerability and and, and being a writer, or being a songwriter, and what you can do with that. Mm. Like you know, it's quite really powerful job that he do, that he did and does on this record. I think I think Elliot Smith is is kind of weirdly singular in how we listen to him mm-hmm. and how we talk about him. There's always this air of um, tragedy, and and you can never get away from that. Yeah, and I think with albums like this one um with certain songs on this album and figure eight Mm. there's maybe a bit more of an opportunity to like hear him having fun with instruments um with arrangements and I don't know whenever I listen to figure eight for example I I just imagine him just having a really good time in the studio and that makes me happy and that brings me joy but 
it's tough to be a fan of Elliot Smith. Um, and I came to his music after his death. Yeah. So I just, the, yeah, it would have been tough to be a fan when it happened. Yeah, it was weird. I think, um, you know, there's there's that musical that trope, you know, the kind of 27 club, that terrible idea of like all of these very important, influential people passing away at this particular period of their life. Um, and then also people like Jeff Buckley, who wasn't that age, but who was quite young still and who died tragically. And there can be this macabre interest in musicians who never, you know, fully reach their peak because they're cut down in their prime and it's always a tragic death, you know. And probably looking back on it from the vantage point of now, like, there, you know, there's a lot of mental health stuff going on there that I think we would be a lot more careful around than probably back back in the day talking about these sort of things. Um, mm. So it does make me sad, I think, to think that Elliot Smith's legacy can get really caught up in the fact that his death was so tragic and to some people kind of still unexplained. I think like there are still questions around what exactly what happened there. Not that it's really any of our business to know, you know, what happened. Um, and I remember when he when he did um, die, I was in college and I remember, I can't remember if it was somebody said it to me or I saw it on an email or something. And I went into the computer lab. This is, this will very much date me. And, um, <laughs> and, and was reading about it and it was on like his, you know, his official message board and all that sort of stuff. And I think it was my first time experience that, experiencing that thing where like someone you're a big fan of something terrible happens to them. And it was just so strange and so tragic. I think when you see someone who's so, utterly talented and has even more to come because every album he was just like getting better to think that something like that could happen to them you realize like they're they're human you know and that they have the same troubles or worse troubles than than other people um but I hope that because he's such a body of work behind him that people don't get too caught up in the tragic death story whereas maybe someone like Jeff Buckley uh, suffers a bit more from that because of his father as well Tim Buckley and because you know Jeff only released one album um one mm. kind of solo album before he died and there was a lot of talk around whether or not like you know the the kind of posthumous stuff was even really what he wanted to release um so I hope that like people aren't put off by the stories around Elliot Smith and, and that they can delve into his back catalogue without thinking too much about mm. it but at the same time the signs are all there that he was a guy who found life difficult you know um but also he was really honest about it like so kudos to him for putting it all out there you know not a lot of people yeah. find that easy he tends to get tired with a similar brush as um what people when i talk to people like uh radiohead probably my favorite band yeah. i reckon um and if i tell people i'm a really big radiohead fan and they don't listen to radio radiohead they're like oh it's like depressing music <laughs> And Elliot gets that as well. It's yeah. like, oh God, so depressing. And it's like, I mean, he has written like, I mean, Son of Sam, for example, on, on his his next record is just, I think, one of the greatest rock songs ever recorded. Yeah. Like he's written some upbeat stuff. Like it's totally. not, and yeah, a lot of it's sad, but yeah. it's it's disappointing when you hear words like depressing yeah. that leveled at people like Elliot because he's so much more than that. Like I think he's, Every time you, every time I listen to him, certainly I find something new to love in his music. Yeah, totally. And I think you're really right that it's it's so upbeat and like it's that contrast that I love. But also, I just love 
that it sounds so shimmery you know it's like the album is full of all these swells of sound and emotion it's like this flower kind of blossoming you know and then shrinking back and then blossoming again and it'll give you like you know you know goose pimples listening to how effectively you know the team that made the album were able to do that Mm. um and yeah it's funny how we do get into those kind of like ideas of uh stereotypes or in certain bands because like like yourself i love radiohead as well and actually the, the older i get the more i love them even though i loved them when i was a teenager yeah. you know um and to me they're not like depressing at all they're like so interesting and life yeah. affirming and make beautiful music you know and that's why they have billions of fans across the world um so yeah and, and i mean i know i've been guilty of falling into stereotypes around bands and i think that's also something that i you know, I'm aware of as well too, then I'd be like, that's not my thing. I don't think I'll listen mm. to that. And then being like, I'm an idiot. Um, so, <laughs> so it's good to be like, you know, accept we can be all be idiots as well, you know. I mean, Elliot wasn't exactly a, um, a superstar, yeah. charismatic. Um, I mean, I, I thought he was very charismatic and very charming in, in all of the live things that I've seen him yeah. do, but he also had a lot of, a lot of really difficult moments on stage and was battling with a, a shyness yeah. with, but but then as it's it's like he can't get a word out and then as soon as he starts playing his guitar and starts singing it it's like mm. it's like that's how he communicates with people and he yeah struggles to do it the other way that's so interesting because that's definitely the case with a lot of performers right that they once they're in their zone of performing they can kind of forget about everything else but when they're kind of there in the in-between bits you know like you know talking between the songs and stuff that's clearly yeah. like stuff that he found really hard and and like he would get bad reviews for his performances and things and yeah like I thought I do often think I do sometimes think about that like what it must be like to be a performer and the pressure that's put on you to be all things to people who've paid in to watch you perform and you know like that cliche of of comedians being really funny on stage and being quite dour off stage which I've kind of seen in real life and you can kind of understand it like you know because they have to like be this thing so it's kind of it's almost a miracle someone like him who's not maybe a natural performer in inverted commas still managed to get his amazing music out there because maybe Mm. another dimension like that might not have happened you know I always think of his his white suit that was about a size too big for him at the Oscars yeah. and they made him go out there and play that song and I, I get so sad when I yeah. think about him standing on that stage just he looks so small yeah. he looks so tiny and then he lost to Celine Dion <laughs> <laughs> absolutely robbed completely robbed yeah which I bet he bet he was like yeah I know you know Celine like, Dion is obviously going, yeah yeah that must yeah. have been a really weird experience for him like to, to yeah. perform at the Oscars and all the Goodwill Hunting stuff like which really helped to cause he was on the Goodwill Hunting soundtrack and mm. that really brought him to another level and also showed like the songs that were on the soundtrack which I think I spent so much time bloody well listening to are really like mm. his dark some of his darkest most transparently darkest dark songs yeah. you know um I remember like uh, writing the lyrics. This is a very teenage thing to do. Writing the lyrics, you know, so leave me alone. You better be proud that I'm getting good marks from Needle in the Hay, like on my wall doing my leaving search on a post-it note, oh, wow. which is kind of bad because it's actually a pun on marks as in like to do with drugs or whatever, but like, which is bad. But 
you know, his he spoke to he spoke to people. I think he really speaks to people through his tough moments and his songs. But yeah, mm. that that that's an incredibly teenage image, and I love it. I absolutely love it. I even I even ripped off another line of his for a six year essay. The line I've got, I can't remember what song it's in. I've got static in my head, the reflected sound of everything. I literally put that into a six-year essay, a leaving cert essay. Um, and were they like, this is very dark, Eva. I don't, I don't know. I think I did okay in the essay, but I think they weren't. I don't think my teacher definitely wouldn't have been listening to it. So he wouldn't have had a clue. But like, I think that's the kind of thing you do when you're young. Whereas like now, you know, <laughs> you know, maybe you could put it on Twitter or something, but somebody's going to know if you've ripped off. And I'll just hide it. Yeah, yeah. You know, or Tell me a bit about music in your house growing up. Ah, good question. Um, yeah, so my dad is really into music, and like I like I was saying at the start, really into kind of the classics. Um, so there's all there you know classic seventies kind of stuff. So there would always have been like CDs and tapes all the ways around the place, and um, we were loved like you know the beatbox when I was really young. The beatbox on on RTE, and was it Network Two, whatever it was called. Mm. Um, and like you know, definitely would have gone to gigs with my parents when I was small, very small before all, maybe the others all came along. Um, so it was always just present I think like the radio and music and my dad had at one point had one of those double tape decks that were these this big deal where you could like tape onto another tape um, oh yeah so the, I actually can't get over how old I'm gonna sound saying all these sort of things but like <laughs> this did happen this did exist uh, but yeah like so and I remember For our younger what, listeners a tape, a tape is, is, a, is, a, is an old <laughs> <laughs> at least I'm not like on a reel to reel or whatever you know um yeah but so I remember we got that and I loved kind of the idea of taping I used to tape stuff off the radio all the time once I discovered mm. you could tape off the radio my cousin I remember my cousin told me you could and I was like what you can tape the songs you want to hear because like we were not going buying like I wasn't going buying stuff for myself you know I had no money obviously as a small child to do that my, my dad would be buying his records so I'm when I learned I could like put tape over a tape and record Dave Fanning show and then like Union, Union Fitzsimons um once I discovered I could do that I was like home and dry making tapes all the time and then making my own radio shows which I used to do a lot which is also embarrassing but I used to record myself doing like the ads and <laughs> so I really wanted to work in radio which I did end up kind of doing in college or whatever um so yeah, and then my baby, it was my babysitter, like our childminder, her daughter gave me, you know, I was about 14 or 13, maybe 13, gave me Alanis Marset's Jagged Little Pill. And oh, what a gift. Like For a 14 year old Like, girl. I mean, it that couldn't is, have been, didn't know what wow. the hell she was singing about over and half, but I was very innocent at <laughs> like 13. But you knew you were angry. Yeah, you I was were like, angry for her. There's something here in that album. And then also yeah. my a friend of my dad's who was Australian gave me Frog Stomp by um, Silverchair. Uh, who were like super young grunge band back uh, in the 90s and the two of those records were like my kind of gateway into because I was a really big fan of pop bands like Backstreet Boys and well early Backstreet Boys I suppose and like Boyzone loved Boyzone when I was like 10 or 11 Um, so I loved music you know I liked Spice Girls that sort of thing and then going from those into the alternative music was like like a you know key in a lock opened a door and all mm. of a sudden I'd be like listening to like Amy Mann tapes in my bedroom on my own you know oh. being like what is she what is she talking about I don't understand you know um so yeah music is really important and I think it, it's it's still important to all of us in the family in different ways you know even 
myself my brother got super into it but i know that like my mom has certain songs that really mean a lot to her like by the by the eagles i'll never hear a bad word against eagles i'm a big fan of them <laughs> like really, totally fair enough. really radio friendly 70s pop music um so yeah, yeah. so yeah it's kind of, you know it's 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 i feel lucky to have grown up with albums and records and bands and and like you know it being a thing that was cool to be into like you know mm. And when you were a teenager and you were in college and you were kind of discovering alternative music, were were your friends also involved in that scene or were you on your own there? Um, yeah, so luckily, like a, a lot of my close friends are really into music as well. Um, some of my, maybe my school friends wouldn't have been into, but then as I got older, I think you just gravitate towards people who are just really into the same stuff as you, as particularly mm. in college and onwards. Um, and, in, you know, I think I was lucky in college to work in the college radio station and it was all about music. So like, you know, just made really good friends that even if I might not see them now or we might see each other once every few years, that we'd still keep in touch because we kind of bonded over records that we really liked. And I think I always, as the years went on, was always trying to seek out people who are into the same kind of stuff as me and who get how important music is. Because I think, mm. you know, in college, I don't know, for whatever reason, there was more people around who were in bands, you know, making music, putting on gigs, um, all that sort of stuff. Whereas when I moved out of that scene and into kind of adulthood, it can actually be a little bit harder if you don't stay in the music kind of spaces to meet people mm. who understand why you're like crying with delight over Midlake or whatever, you know. Um, and I think my, any of my close friends are really will be into most of them will be into similar cultural stuff like so we'll get that like how important music is and we'll love going to gigs or um, you know we'll bond over stuff we'll talk about what we what we love listening to and I think as you get older that cliche of you get into your like late 30s and people's lives change music the role can it can like diminish a little bit because you get obsessed with like your job or if people have families or whatever but every time I turn back to it and, and really go to it, I'm just reminded of like why I bond people over it and why it's such a big thing to me, you know, mm. why I'm drawn to people who get why music is so important. Do you know, like mm. I'm not really into sports, but I think like sports people get why, like if they think a match is really important, they want friends around them, understand the power of football or camogie or whatever, you know? Um, mm. So for me, that's like, that's music. And I think film and books as well would, would play that role for me too. There is there is a kind of a shift that happens when you kind of come out of your teens or maybe come out of college for a lot of people. I know, I know cer certainly for me where music can stop being a solo thing mm. and there is something that is lost in that. But what you gain in it being a, a communal thing, going to gigs with friends, having friends who want to go to gigs, yeah. having friends who like you have things in common with that you're gaining so much there. And I think as an adult, I mean, we, we don't have a lot of time to yeah. listen to, like not, I I listen to new music all the time. Yeah. And that's always coming through. So it's always such a delight when I get to, um, when I have an excuse like like this podcast yeah. uh, to, to go and dig into older music mm -hmm. and have that reminder of that kind of solitary thing of just between you and the album yeah um, yeah yeah because um I think like the people like the generations now from maybe like 30 upwards we have all lived a life where we had like pre-internet pre-cds 
you know, pre the vinyl revolution again. <laughs> um, yeah. Re- rejuvenation of vinyl. Um, we lived a life where like we weren't bombarded with like singles as heavily as well because it's very much a single based culture now. Whereas I think we were still in part of the album culture, and I just think there was less music around which is not necessarily yeah. like a, you know it's not like it's terrible now that there's so much music around obviously it's great <laughs> there's so much music around um but I think that our relationships with music would have had to have changed in so many ways to do with age but also to do with just how music is disseminated culturally how it's treated streaming you know we we've kind of lived through the like burning cds with like all of Led Zeppelin's back catalog on it you know but not maybe mm. ever listening to it because it was like how the hell am I going to get through this because it's like owning it but not maybe consuming it properly or whatever mm. um so yeah like it I think that there's maybe as well if you're getting older and especially say like for yourself or like listening to new music is a huge part of your job um it can be really hard to switch off from that and go back to stuff that you really loved because there's so much choice and you're afraid of missing out on stuff and the sheer volume of stuff is like mm. really hard to keep up with um like so, yeah. I, I remember saving I, I suppose yeah it would have been like pocket money or something mm. and I say I was saving up for an album and it took me like three weeks to save for it yeah and the day I got it I like ran home with it and like it sounds so quaint it sounds like the whole scene should have been happening in like sepia or black and white or something like the the old days but it but it was like that it it was a it was a it was a thing it was an event it was a moment like some somebody handing you an album felt really important you felt the weight of this thing and uh, uh, whereas I think now I I really the kids these these days (laughs) like you know but they have access to so much stuff, which is amazing because they can find the weird stuff yeah. really easily, really quickly. Yeah. But also, it must be so daunting for them. Like, do do they listen to albums? I don't know. Yeah, like, we, where do you start now, right, if you're getting into music? Because you've got so much stuff there. Do you ever feel protective of your relationship with Elliot Smith's music? Do you... Um, I've I sometimes find myself clutching my chest and saying like no nobody else gets it <laughs> the way I get it <laughs> yeah you like know. I think I would have felt maybe that a bit more before and I think like I was so into him like after he passed away but a year after he passed away I put on a tribute gig to him in the lobby which is which is such an amazing mm. venue in Cork that is is being closed closed a few years after that I, I did a thing on the Sun, Sunday Miss Elney about it and like it for me it was like a way of you know showing how much I loved his music and in a way looking back I'm like wow that was like you weren't the only Elliot Smith fan in Cork but like you know I just decided <laughs> to do it because I felt like I had to show that I wanted to recognize that that it was tragedy and then there was loads of other fans who and people who played his music and stuff who who I felt like I could connect with but I think I don't know I, don't, I think now I'm not possessive of it but I, de- I definitely probably would have been in the past and I think because maybe actually maybe I just assume that I just have this connection with him and his music and nobody can kind of shake that because he's been part of my musical life for so long but I totally understand that impetus to be like nobody really gets this like I get it because that's why we get so obsessed with musicians and bands because they speak to our soul in a way that like you can't describe (laughs) so you're like you know, like Black Star by Radiohead. I'm like, does anybody really get how much Black Star means <laughs> to me? <laughs> you know, 
I, I, I spent a lot of years as a teenager convinced that I was the only person that really knew what OK Computer was saying. <laughs> like, no, guys, you don't understand. Like, technology, like, it, it, it's bad. You know? <laughs> so deep this record goes deeper than you realize <laughs> yeah you, you don't yeah you're you're there listening to karma police you don't even know what it's about man <laughs> and you get old and you're like oh god everyone knew yeah <laughs> like radiohead are pretty transparent as much as we think that they're not like it's pretty like, blatant yeah. like what's happening here oh, totally. yeah you, you don't you don't have to dig that deep tell me a bit more about the gig that you put on yeah so it's actually kind of a funny story and I think on a, on a few a uh, few levels um so like I was saying I put it on in the lobby which was this really lovely venue in Cork and it was right right next to the city hall and it overlooks the river um which will become important in the story um and it's upstairs the venue was upstairs and you could kind of there's big windows you could see out and I went to loads of gigs there um you know when I was about like late teens early 20s before it closed and it was when Ireland was going through this massive um singer-songwriter phase so I'm mm-hmm. like guilty for being like part of the fandom there I uh, had a very big uh intense love for Damien Rice's music for a long while which I don't really feel anything the same way about now but anyway mm-hmm. I digress um so put that on there and just kind of I just I, I don't even know how I did it like when I look back I just emailed people and asked them would they like to play this tribute gig and I had no budget and like I don't I can't even remember what like I think maybe the money went to charity or maybe the money went to the bands on, on the door or something like that I certainly didn't do it to like make money or anything um mm. email people people all over the place I think Ollie Cole from Turn was one of the people who was supposed to play anyway and some Cork based musicians people from Dublin and then I just put the word out about it on like forums so like on the Elliot Smith official forum um, on maybe like a hot press forum, freak scene forum, which was one in Cork to do with the nightclub and just let people know what was happening. And I'd never done anything like that before. I didn't have a clue what I was doing really, but I felt like it kind of was something that would be really nice to have to happen. Uh, fast forward to the day itself in, in, in October and the worst flooding that had ever hit Cork, like in the past 40 years hit Cork oh, city. God. And the entire city centre was flooded and like the venue is right in the city centre, but like just over the bridge. So like not quite in the city centre, but right next to a river. So it by all means should have been flooded. Um, and I was in college over the other side of the city and then went home and was hearing all this stuff about Cork being flooded and thinking what? And then listening to the radio and it was like, nobody can go anywhere. The city is shut down. You know, cars and buses can't pass through. And it was just like, what the hell? managed to make oh, it in no. there it was crazy like got in there and it was miraculously there was no water in the lobby so people were able to go in loads there were 60 people there people came down for like Belfast and Dublin and stuff wow yeah it was just like it shouldn't have gone that way like n- places were closing down all day because of there was like feet of water in the city center um so yeah it, it happened with that really strange strange background and and everybody was so great and the sound engineer chloe was so was fab like dealing with me being like she's like vox i was like vox means vocals right like i didn't know anything like that you know (laughs) one guitar yes so i was like why does she need to know these things you know um so yeah and and it was just lovely and then i stupidly when the gig ended just went home like i clearly Mm. had not learned the ways of like stay afterwards to have the crack with people like absolute like naivety went home and everybody else had the crack (laughs) and was like i think overwhelmed with like everything and you know the adrenaline of like the experience and uh yeah so didn't take one photo 
it's just really strange <laughs> night that should not have happened but somehow did unless I dreamt it um that's that's so lovely I, I, I love the drama of putting it on in a in a great flood like I know that's, there's something biblical about that it's it's beautiful totally, yeah it's great it's a good story I think I only really realized uh, that it was a nice story when I was kind of starting to remember it and write about it and I was like oh yeah this is kind of wild like how the hell did yeah. that happen how do we escape it like you know how do people turn up fair play to everybody who turned up like heroes you know any final thoughts on XO um gosh I think um I think if people are listening and they haven't heard this record before uh to obviously seek it out and they'll probably find some of it really familiar because he has influenced a lot of people and because he wears his Beatlesy influences on his sleeve so I think they'll enjoy, you know, if you enjoy melodic, jaunty, pop-based records, you will love this. Um, mm. And then to go and investigate the rest of his back catalogue and use it, I think, I used it as a teenager as a way of learning how musicians develop and going back and listening to Elliot's really early stuff um, and hearing how he is just much quieter person recording at home in like his bedroom to when he gets a bit of money and has production, to when he is quite quite established as a musician and later in figure eight can make a, a, a quite a bombastic record, but never lose a sense of who he is. And I mm. think that's that's the thing I'd hope people would would get out of it that he's like a true, he was a true musician, and that his work is really touching and powerful and sounds beautiful. And I'll always be really glad for like my fandom of his music because it's brought me a lot, you know. And I'll never tire of listening to any of his records, like mm. ever. They're just perfection. So good. Mm. So yeah, thanks for the chance to talk about That's him. It's great. Thank you so much for speaking about him. Thanks so much to Aoife. This has been My Favourite Album with me, Andrea Cleary, an original production with Tall Tales.